All right. Good morning to you. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord? Are you glad for the person who invented heat? Yeah, amen. See, you got to be thankful for all the things that there are. It's so good to be back with you, and I want to thank Brother Brent for kicking off our series on joy. And this is going to be a short one. It's only last week, this week, and next week, and then we launch into Christmas, the song of Christmas. And this year, we're going to base our sermon series on Mary, Did You Know, and all the wonderful stories that, that's mentioned in that song um, about our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm really excited about that um, coming up. But now we're going to talk about joy. And what a different title, Joy, Dr. Strange Joy. That's just kind of different, you know. And if you're going to choose a song to talk about Dr. Strange Joy, I would look back in my past when I was younger, okay? And so I would go back, if you're a child of the 60s or 70s, you might remember, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a friend of mine. And then it goes on and says, Joy to the world, all the boys and girls. And you know, I have no clue what that means. But it was a good song back in those days. Come on, all you 60s and 70 folks, you remember that song? Wasn't that a great one? You know, didn't know what it meant. But hey, hey, you know what's great about the music of the 60s and 70s? It didn't have to make sense. It was just good music. It was just good music. But anyway, so, but really for the series and for what we want to talk about today, we probably need to go further back than the 60s or 70s. In fact, we need to go way back when we were just little, my you know, my age, was little tiny kids about, you know, eight years old and seven years old. And I think probably the song that comes to my mind, we still sing at least some in the, in the Sunday school classes and on Wednesday nights with our mission groups, those different times. And you remember this song? If you know this song, sing with me. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart. Down in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart to stay. That's right. And you're right. Maybe we should go, where? Where? And then, and then the, another verse, and I don't know if you remember this verse or not. I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart, down in my heart. Down in my heart, I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Down in my heart to stay. And that great last verse. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack. Sit on attack. And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Sit on attack and stay. Now, what's great about that song, but isn't that a good song? I mean, you can't, that, those were just good songs. You know, of course, the, the perennial classic today is, you know, Father Abraham. But, but, you know, it's funny how these things stick into our heads about joy, about joy. And here's the great deal. That song, believe it or not, has some great theology in it. I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart. Okay? And the fact is that we often, and I'll, I'll give it to you now and I'll give it to you just a moment. We often think joy as something like an emotion. And it's not. At least in the context of God's word, it is not. And then I've got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. And that has great theology too, because when we have the joy of the Lord in our lives, then we have a peace in life. We have peace in life. And the great part is, if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Because through Jesus Christ, 
we have great victories. And James talks about almost all of that in our, seri- in our message today. So take your Bibles and look at James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse number 2. James chapter 1, verse number 2. And we're going to talk about Dr. Strange Joy. Dr. Strange Joy. Now, again, I've, I can I be honest with you? This really helped me. Um, this, like, I need to be honest with you. I've read James all week. But my sermon sheet, you know, I did not look at the sermon sheet. I'm going, whoo, boy, I'm really pushing this. You know, Saturday night was coming, and I said, I've got to study hard on, on, you know, on this sermon. And then we got the call about Brother Frank um, last night. I went to the hospital. Things happened, and I'm going, oh, Lord, are you going to pull this off? And so it was so cool to watch him do exactly that. I'm really excited because I always pondered, and I bet you have too if you're honest, you've kind of pondered joy and trials, joy and trials. You know, you wonder if James was like a a child of the 60s when he said, count it all joy when you come into all these trials. You know, you're kind of going, James, you know, are you eating some bad pizza or something? What's going on? But it all of a sudden made all the sense in the world to me as I studied for this message. So I'm very excited. I hope you'll take some notes this morning. Don't normally say that, but I think this is a sermon that can help us in our Christian walk, okay? So here's how James kicks it off. And because, again, I just love the way the New Living Translation put this, and James, use that one today. Don't normally do it, but I do do it today. So here's how he starts out. Now keep in mind, James, I love to tell you this, James was the half-brother of Jesus, okay? Jesus was his big brother. I think it's so cool. He probably knew Jesus better than anyone, well, besides Mary and perhaps Joseph. But as the siblings, he had to know Jesus so very, very well. And the fact that the half-brother of Jesus writes to us today and speaks to us today, I think is pretty cool. So he starts out by saying this, Dear brothers and sisters, so whatever he's about to say is given to people who are Christ followers. Now, if you look at verse number 1, he's writing to the 12 tribes of Jews, uh, Christian believer Jews, that were dispersed, that were scattered around. That happened in Acts, okay? When, when the persecution came, the church scattered, all right? But he's writing also to us today. Even though we're not Jews, he's writing to us as followers in Jesus Christ. So he says, My brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Let me read that again. I think it's a really good verse. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, this, this verse is just loaded with truth. First off, he says, I'm talking to you who are Christ followers. What I'm about to say applies to you. Okay? And then he says, when troubles. Now, someone in the room or someone on the radio this morning has got pauses and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean troubles? I mean, I signed up with Jesus to get out of trouble. I signed up with Jesus, one, to miss the ultimate trouble, and that's hell. Okay, and secondly, some preacher on some channel told me that if I would trust Jesus, I would be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I would never get sick, and all my kids would turn out right. What do you mean, win troubles? I did the Jesus thing to get out of trouble. Someone has sold you the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay, because Jesus himself said in John 16, 33, he says, you will have suffering You will have trouble in this world. But he says, be of good cheer. Be courageous because I have overcome the world. 
So we are going to have troubles. If you've kind of been told somewhere or perhaps falsely taught or unintentionally taught that because you're a Christ follower, you don't have trouble, you kind of need to lay that aside this morning as a false truth. You will have troubles. So when James, that brother Jesus, says, when troubles of any kind, of any kind, there's all kinds of troubles. There are all kinds of troubles. You know, it seems like in the first part of this, James um, concentrates on trouble we run into. You know, you just you, you sometimes just run into trouble. I, when you do life, trouble just seems to find you. Okay? In the last part, and we're not going to get there. I know it's on your sermon sheet. But in the very last part, it's kind of like trouble we go looking for. Okay? So he kind of divides it in two. There's trouble that finds us and trouble that we find. Okay, but today, this morning, we want to look at trouble that finds us. As we do journey, uh, journey through life, it comes in many different kinds. Um, the commentary I was studying mentioned, like, for instance, persecutions. Now, we live in a wonderful country where we still have religious freedom. You know, we've heard stories of Central Asia, uh, and, and we've seen it in Africa, among the Muslims there. You know, the Muslim culture there. We, there are places, so many places around the world, where if you are a Christian, you'll be persecuted in a very hard and harsh way. Uh, it may cost you your job. It may cost you your family. It cost the place where you live. It can even be, uh, cost you your life. But, but in America, we don't have that. But we do suffer from persecutions. You know, I know, for instance, if you are a student here today, and particularly if you're in the, well, actually, not even particularly yet, if you're in the school system, really not just Harrisburg, but anywhere, and you take a good, solid stand for Christ, there's a possibility someone's going to mock you and make fun of you. You know, you may have as one of your goals in life to be the starting quarterback, and in your world there at school, that will keep you, being a Christian might keep you from being the starting quarterback. You may, you may have the idea of being the president of the student council, the student government, and, and that, that keeps you. The fact that you're a Christ follower, and I don't mean I, you put on your resume, you know, I should be president of the student council because I go to Dorisville Baptist Church. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who takes a firm stand and says no to the things of the world and yes to the things of God. That could cost you. And frankly, if you're an adult, it can cost you on the job too. I mean, there could be a promotion that you're totally qualified but the boss thinks that Christianity is a joke, you could not get that promotion because of the fact you're a Christian. So sometimes it looks like persecutions. And, and sometimes it, it could look like you know, a difficult moral decision. And I'm not talking about having an affair or not having an affair. Okay? Uh, that's a no-brainer, by the way. I'm talking about when the company is doing something wrong and you know you cannot be a part of that, when you go to the boss and say... I will not be a part of this corrupt policy. And you walk away from it. If you happen to be into politics and you actually choose to do the right thing, uh, you could you know, be persecuted for that. And it could be a hard moral decision. So it could look like that. And one we all can identify with, tragedy, tragedies. Tragedies. There are hard things in life. Our kids get wrecks. Doctors give bad reports of cancer stage four, no hope and no cure. So, so James is saying there are different kinds of trials, there's different kinds of temptations, uh, there's different kinds of trouble, and we run into them as we do life. Okay? Can, anybody, can you identify what I'm saying today? I don't, I don't know what it looks like in your life. 
I don't know. You, you could really be trying to have the best marriage, and the one you're married to is not. Is not. You could be trying to do the right thing in, in the church world. You're really trying to do the right thing, and, and trouble runs into it and finds you. Okay? In lots of ways. So James says, when, when troubles of any kind come your way, no matter what they look like, consider it, and that means chalk it up, it means to reckon it. Uh, we have several accountants in our church. It means do the math. Do the math. So, so when, you, when you run into this, consider it. Are you ready? Wait for it. An opportunity for great joy. I know the old King James, which I was raised on, and, and it comes to my mind, count it pure joy. Count it pure joy. But count it great joy. It's an opportunity for great joy. I love what Phillips writes in his translation of the New Testament. He says, when trials come, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. When trials come, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. And listen, that is so contrary to what we know about life. I mean, you know, Jesus is the guy who came up with the idea and said, okay, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, you give them the other cheek. Say, try that one. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. If, if you want to save your life, you've got to be willing to give your life away. I mean, Jesus came up with all this crazy gospel on your ideas. And James, his half-brother, comes up with one that lines up with that. We should be saying, oh, no, we spend all of our lives trying to avoid trouble, exit trouble. We get in trouble, get me out of here, God. And James comes along and says, no, 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 no. Consider a great opportunity for great joy. Let me read it in what Philip said. When trials come, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. So this is when it really started making sense for me as I studied, and I mean, I, I personally believe this, I don't know if you not, and if you don't, that's fine, that God just kind of like, Dwayne, you need to see this. It's one of those aha moments with God. I bet you've had them before. You're studying and all of a sudden, wow. Here's the deal. I, I said, okay, what is joy? What is joy? Well, I came up with the conclusion that at least in the context of God's word, joy is not an emotion. Because, you know, if you're emotionally sound, oh, I've got joy, I'm emotionally sound. And if your emotions are all messed up, oh, I don't have joy. Okay? So it's not an emotion. It's not something we work up like positive thinking. You know, mm, I'm going to have joy. I'm going to squeeze our mm, joy. It's not that at all. Okay? Well, what is joy? Dwayne, what, what, is, what is it? Well, here's what I wrote. Joy is a deep sense of well-being based on, here's, here's the big part, based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. Joy is a deep sense, a, a, a sense from deep within you, okay, of well-being. And by the way, if you want a better word for well-being, peace. Joy is a, a deep sense of peace based on not emotions, not my ability to feel good about myself, not my ability to feel good about my, my situation and my circumstances, but based on faith in God and trust in His Sovereign will. So joy is based on our faith and trust. And that's why it's so important. It's what we honestly believe about God. Um, 
the middle song we sang, uh, which is a new one still to me also, and I'm sure it's new to you, uh, but it's a great song, you know, talked about we serve a God of good intentions. That's why His sovereign will is so important. You've got to understand that God is working on your behalf. So when, you bump, when you're going through life and you're bumping into troubles and trials, you've got to understand that that is God working on your behalf. You know, I love, you know I love Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a good man. I can't believe that. You know, the word of God is strong and powerful. Amen? And it's true. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he, God, delights in that way. So God is working on our part, bringing about our steps, our path, okay? As I journey through life, and if I bump into troubles, I've got the confident assurance that that was allowed, that was allowed by God, okay? And it bumps into my life, okay? And it's something he delights in. It's something he delights in. And we will probably not get there, but I'll give it to you now. No, we're not going to get there, okay? All right, James 1.17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. And I know Rebecca's favorite verse, and all of us, so many of us have really identified with, with Jeremiah 29.11. Let me read it to you so I'll get it exactly right. For I know the plans I have for you. Now, this is spoken to Israel, but it certainly applies to us. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So when God allows things to come into our life that are difficult and we bump into them, we've got to claim our faith and, our faith and trust in God and His sovereign will. We've got to believe that He is a God who orders our steps, okay? And it's something He delights in, okay? It's a path that He delights in and that He knows the plans that He has for us and they're not plans to harm you, but plans to prosper us, give us hope in the future. We've got to believe that, now listen, look at me. You've got to believe that. Which, let me say it one more time. You've got, we've got to get beyond saying these words and get them into our hearts and believe them. And believe them. So when the trouble does come and we're at that crossroads of belief or unbelief, we're going to choose to believe even when it doesn't make sense. Um, Judy, you know, before we went on vacation, we were up at the... Um, the IBSA annual meeting, and she went to the ladies' part and, and, you know, got several books and things. And she had this book, and it's called Prayer Fatigue. So obviously the topic is prayer. And it's written by Jennifer Kennedy Dean. And I know I'm going to break a rule. If you don't lose your audience, just read something, okay? Please don't go away. Stay with me. Um, her, even though her context is prayer, actually it's not. It's talking about sovereignty here. And we'll, the last thing I'm going to read to you identifies with prayer. But listen to this. And this, I want you to remember that song you didn't know, the second song. If you can remember any of the words, I want you to remember those words as I read what what she writes. This is what Jennifer Kennedy Dean wrote in Prayer Fatigue. Speaking of God, He has no purpose in His heart towards you other than love. Isn't that good? He has no purpose in His heart towards you other than love. His plans for you Now listen, oh, just listen to her verbiage. She can write. His plans for you are formed out of pure, unalloyed love for you. I love that word, unalloyed. Pure. No additives. No additives. Nothing else motivates his actions for your life. 
If you're bumping into trouble, his single motivation is his love for you. If you're, if you're cruising through life and life is going well, nothing else motivates his love but love for you. His actions, but love for you. You can count on his unwavering, staunch love for you. You can count on it. You can bank on it. No matter what your circumstances are saying, no matter what others are saying, no matter what your critics are saying, you can count on that. Now listen to this. I like this. He doesn't coddle you. Don't we like to be coddled? Don't we like the picture of God where, where he's just this kindly grandfather one and says, come sit in my lap? And he, I think he's part of that. I think he's part of that. He doesn't coddle you, but he protects and defends you. He doesn't indulge you, hmm, but he supplies you with his abundance. He doesn't preclude difficulties in your life. He allows you to bump into things, but he filters them and screens them so that only that which will enrich you enters your experience. I'm going to read that one again. It's a long one. He doesn't preclude difficulties in your life. But he filters them and screens them so that only that which will enrich you enters your experience. Uh, yeah, this is just good. You can trust that God is working in your life according to a strategy that he thought through and laid out before you were born. Before you were born, he had a strategy for your life. Nothing he does. Now, if you write nothing else, write this down. Nothing he does is aimless or indiscriminate. Nothing he does is aimless or indiscriminate. That's the God we serve. And here's the one I love. I mean, if we believe this in prayer, it would change the way we pray. If we believe this in life, it would change the way we live. If you knew right now, as God knows, if you knew everything that God knows right now, you would make the same decisions He makes. If you knew what God knows right now, you would make the same decisions God makes. All the things that we say, doesn't make sense, Dwayne. Doesn't make sense, God. Don't, what are you doing, God? All of a sudden, if we knew what He knew, it would all make sense. And we make the same decisions he makes. That's powerful. That's strong. As we journey through life and we're bumping into trouble, and you say, God, why did you allow that to come to my life? If we knew what God knew, we would make the same decisions he makes. So what we do if we don't know? We trust him. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. So, so joy then, a deep sense of well-being based on faith in God and trust in His sovereign will. You might say it this way, that joy then is a fruit that thrives in faith and trust. If, if we could make joy into a type of fruit tree, we would have a tree that thrives in faith and trust. And by the way, did I pull that arbitrarily out of the air? No. Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit is love, love, come on, folks, joy. Let's try it again. Love, joy. See, it's not an emotion. It's not something we conjure up. It's something, you know, we believe the fruit of the Spirit, the nine fruit of the Spirit, listen in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Those are things that when we receive the Holy Spirit, those become a part of our DNA. So in us... Not that we have to conjure up it. Not that we have to make it. In us is this thing called joy. 
And it's a gift from God. You got joy. You got joy. But what you've got to do is cultivate that. You've got to sprinkle a little miracle grow on that. You know what the miracle grow is? Faith and trust. Faith and believe in God. Faith and believe in God. And this is what Jesus said in John 15, 5, talking about fruit. I'm the vine, he says. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Like love, joy, and peace. The first three, which all go together by love. If you know God loves you, all right, you're going to have joy. If you've got joy, you've got peace. Love, joy, peace. So if you abide in me and I in you, you bear much fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. Without, him, without that fertile place, joy remains dormant in our lives. And we go up, we bump into trouble. And we go, man, at God, God, what are you doing? God, what kind of God are you? And God, if you love me, and God, if you care for me. That's what happens when joy lies dormant. But when joy has a little miracle grow sprinkled on it, uh, called faith and trust in God and His sovereign will, that joy prospers and grows. And when James says in verse 2, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. He's showing us how our joy can grow. How we can have greater faith and trust in God. And you don't get it sitting on the beach in Florida. You get it in the emergency room at one of the hospitals. You get it when you get a call from your daughter, Dad, I've been in an accident. It's those moments that your joy is going to grow as you trust and have faith in God. Can I have an amen? This, this is so huge as we journey down through life. So you might say joy then is the Christian's approach to life. Joy is the Christian's approach to life. Now, you've got to get this, okay? There are two other approaches to life that are not Christian. And they're damaging and dangerous to believers. The first is this. Drifting. Drifting. How many of you have ever been in the ocean before? Okay, yeah, okay. Now, if you've ever been out in the ocean and you're out, oh, up to here or so, and there's just a few waves coming... There's going to be something happening. There is something that will come behind you and push you. And then as the wave goes back out, it pulls you. As the wave comes in, it lifts you up. And as the wave goes away, it drops you down. Some people approach life the same way. It's so unsettling. They're pushed in. They're pulled out. They're up and they're down. All depending on the circumstances. Pushed in. Pull out, up, and down. And that's how the world does business. That is not how believers do business. We approach life through the lens of joy, which is based on a faith and trust in God and His sovereign will. Beware of drifting. Oh, and beware of riptide. I found out, learned, I'm a Florida boy, and we've known about riptide all of our lives, but you hear so much of it on the Weather Channel. Riptide is when there's a special current and the top looks one way and the bottom looks another. And you're thinking, okay, you're thinking that you're safe here, but there's an undercurrent pulling you out to the open sea. And if you don't do something, you'll find yourself in a very dangerous situation and drown. 
Christians, beware. When you choose to do life like the world does, pushing forward, pulling back, up and down, there's a danger of riptide that will pull you entirely away from God. Not for the sense of your salvation, but every ounce of peace and joy that you've got. It will pull you away. Now, the second one is very prevalent also, and that's pretending. Pretending. And we've talked about this before. You put on the mask, you put up the front, and on the outside, you look, everything's happy and joyful. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great, man. And inside, you are dying. You are dying. It looks good to others, but it's killing you. So you've got to determine what approach to life are you going to take. Are you going to have joy based on a constant faith and trust in God and His sovereign will? Are you going to allow it to be controlled by circumstances totally, forward, backwards, up and down? Or are you going to just be a guy with a mask on? And one day, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. Any joy, any happiness you've got will be long gone. You're going to have to decide which one. Which one. So then James moves on. And in verse number, in verse number uh, 3, he says this. For you know, like you're supposed to know this. For you know that when, and remember, you're going to have troubles. Your faith, your joy is going to be a chance to be stretched and your faith is going to be tested. Okay, so that when your faith is tested, okay, and I love this because it says in the Greek, this I guess from the commentary, I'm not this smart, but it said when you have your faith is tested, it means approval after testing. It's not a negative thing. God, God's not expecting you to fail. He's expecting you to succeed because if you depend on him, you succeed. You depend on yourself, you fail. Okay, so James is saying, for you know that when your faith is tested, when it's approved after testing, okay, um, your endurance will have a chance to grow. So when he says your faith is tested, the idea is, and from the Greek, the idea is these troubles that we bump into. Not that we went looking for it, but there's troubles we bump, bump into. It's not our fault. We just bump into them. So, so when that happens, when that kind of a situation arrives, your endurance has a chance to grow. You know, we went hiking when we were in the mountains. And this is the thing that, that Brent talked about. And we were out, we were coming back. Uh, the trail was wet. It had rained and the trail was wet. And uh, it's kind of funny. There's a lesson here for you. Um, I think the first person to fall was Ethan. And I think if I remember correctly, dear, compassionate Rebecca, ha, ha, ha. Ethan, be careful. Uh, and I kind of went, ha, 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 too. But that's not part of the story. So, so a few minutes later, I guess who went down? Not first. Mama did. <laughs> yeah, Becca. Becca went down. Guess who laughed? <laughs> That'll teach you, I said, to laugh at Ethan. It wasn't five minutes later. <laughs> five minutes later. And I'll tell you exactly how it happened. I... I was walking. I had hiking boots on. I was prepared, dude. I wasn't being careless, okay? And there was a rock, and the angle was kind of like that way. And so I took a step, Brent, and when I put my foot there, because it was wet and slick rock, my, my leg went that away. And I was in mid-step, so my knee was like this, and I went straight down on that knee. Yeah, well, let me just show you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and by the way, you know what else I found out? 
you bleed a lot when you take blood thinners. Remember the stent thing? They put me on it. Yeah, we can get it stopped bleeding. I mean, it was a mess. Now, I did nothing wrong besides laugh at Becca. <laughs> it was a great opportunity, but it really was painful. But I was did nothing wrong. I just bumped into trouble. So time, sometimes we bump into trouble. So James says, for you know that when you bump into trouble, okay, when you bump into trouble, your endurance has a chance to grow. And this is so good. The word endurance there, are you ready? Faith stretched out. Faith stretched out is what endurance means. So, so you, for you know that when your faith is tested, when you bump into trouble, your endurance, your, your faith is stretched out and it has a chance to grow. This is so big. Because, see, all of us, every, you know, I can, be on, I can be on a diet, okay, for two minutes. But it's the stretched out faith that matters. You don't go bragging saying, boy, I'm on a diet. And all you've done is not eat the sixth cookie at lunch. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about a faith that is ongoing, a lifestyle of faith. Faith that is stretched out for the long haul. In fact, that's a great definition. That's great. When he says, for you know that when your faith is tested, when you bump into trouble and you respond to that, your, your faith is stretched out and has a chance to grow. The first thing is this. It's trusting God for the long haul. See, we way casually approach this trusting God thing. When it's not too hard, I trust God. When things are good, I trust God. But what happens when a real big bump comes? We're not ready. We're not ready. So endurance, stretched out faith, means trusting God for the long haul. It's a lifestyle of prayer. Remember when, remember when Paul said, you know, pray without ceasing? He wasn't talking about getting in your prayer room and getting on your knees all day and praying. It's like breathing. You just learn to pray as you go through life. God bless that person. God, that person's life is hard. God help me right now. It's that way. Well, stretched out faith is that. It's trusting God for the long haul. It's just a habit in your life that I am going to trust God. But not only is it just trusting God, but it's trusting God for a purposeful outcome. Trusting God for a purposeful outcome. See, when you bump into stuff, okay, if you can see a purpose in that, it's easier to endure. When, when, you, when you bump into stuff and you know there's a reason and a purpose, then you can endure that better. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, when you bump into stuff, you've got to trust God. There's a purposeful outcome for that. Now, I love it. You know it too. Romans chapter uh, 8, verse uh, 2, uh, verse 28, 8, 28. And listen to this. And, all, and we know that all things, all things like all kinds of trials, all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His purpose. In other words, our faith will grow and strengthen. You mark this down. When you're going along in life and you bump into trouble, one of the good things that's going to come out is your faith is going to be strengthened. It may be bigger than that. Someone may be saved. But when you're going through life, mark it down. One of the benefits is going to be a stronger, stretched out faith. A faith that is stronger. And number two is, verse 29, first part, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. You're going to be more like Jesus. Now, I know, I know, if you're like half committed to, to, to God, you know, I, I'm a Christian, Dwayne, but let's not go too fanatical with this. That doesn't mean a lot. But if you've got a lot of God in your heart, 
to be a real Christ follower, to do this thing seriously, those things are huge. It's huge. That your faith will be stretched out faith, a long-term faith. And ultimately, you'll be like Jesus. We'll be like Jesus. That's huge. That's huge. Okay, so then James moves on. He says in verse number 4, Where's David at? David, you're fixing to hate this. I know you well. So, y'all remember the movie Frozen? You remember the song, Let It Go? Well, if it was a Christian movie, it'd be called Chosen, and we would, let it grow, let it grow. Okay. Well, in James chapter 1, verse 4, James says, so let it grow. Chosen, Frozen, Go, oh boy, wow. I was counting on a better response from that dude. I thought that might just be a home run. We're in deep weeds, all right? James says, James says, so let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, okay? When your, when your stretched out faith is fully developed, he says three things are going to happen. You will be perfect, you'll be complete, and you'll need nothing. When your when your stretched out faith has grown, okay, you'll be perfect, complete, meaning nothing. All right, write these down. Perfect, seasoned, experienced, and fit for God's purpose. When you allow your faith to stretch out, in other words, you live a lifestyle of faith, okay, then then you'll be perfect, you'll be seasoned, you'll be experienced, okay, and you'll be fit for God's purpose. That's a good benefit, isn't it? Good benefit. Okay, secondly, you'll be needing nothing. You'll be, I'm sorry, you'll be complete. I'm sorry. You'll be complete, fully trained, fully trained. Again, this came from the commentary, not from me. We'll make that clear. What does that look like? It looks like this. Weakness and imperfections are being removed. The character flaws that you hate so much, are, when you start having stretched out faith, are going to be removed. Okay. The imperfections are going to be gone. Um, um, the weaknesses that you suffer through right now are going to be gone. Okay? Secondly, you'll be gaining victory over old sins. The victory is yours, but you'll be practically living out victory over... How, <laughs> almost said how many. Don't you raise your hands. But don't most of us have sins we hate in our life? It may be something weird and twisted like lust or pornography, something like that. But it could be bitterness, anger, jealousy. You know, loveless heart. Anything. Well, when, when we allow our faith to be stretched out, okay, and we become complete, all right, then those things start disappearing. And three, you demonstrate a sense of competence about life. You demonstrate a competence about life. In other words, you live your Christian faith in confidence. In confidence. Wow. So when James says, so let it grow. For when your endurance, your stretched out faith is fully developed, you'll be perfect, seasoned, experienced, fit for God's purpose, complete, fully trained, needing nothing, equipped with basic life skills. You'll be better equipped to do life through the lens of the gospel. You'll be better equipped to do life through the lens of the gospel. Got that? Got that? All right, we got to go, man. Clock is ticking. Okay, so... If I, was, if I was to say right now, um, if I've done a halfway decent job, um, I said, any questions? Someone, maybe, in this room would have the courage to raise their hand and say, well, what about this? Or, or over here, somebody might go, what about that? Okay? 
James knew that. Okay? So he throws in verse number, starting in verse number 5. He says this, If you need wisdom about this. Now, we love using this verse in a broad sense, and that's fine. But the specific purpose of this verse is dealing with when you jump into troubles. When you bump into troubles, what do you do? And if you need wisdom about that, he says, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Have, have you ever had this, you know, you're in school, and teacher, I have a dumb question, and your precious teacher goes, there's no such thing as a dumb question. And then you ask her a question, and she goes, well, that's a dumb question. Okay? God will never say, that's a dumb question. God will never say, that's a dumb question. I love that. I love that. So James says, if you need wisdom, ask your father. Ask the God. And he'll give it to you. Because there's no dumb questions with God. Now, for some reason, what popped in my brain was a third base coach. See, we don't have the big picture. We don't have the big picture. And when a runner is on first base, fixing to run, try to get the second, perhaps third, and perhaps home, he needs a bigger perspective. He doesn't have eyes in the back of his head. The runner doesn't have eyes on the side of his head. He needs help. And what they do is they put a guy on third base that has a different perspective of the entire field. And the job of the runner is not to try to watch the entire field, but to watch that third base coach. And that third base coach is going to tell him how to run the bases. God is here to tell you how to run the bases. He's a third base coach that you can trust. So if you have questions, who are you going to ask? You can ask God. Because there's no dumb questions with God. And he knows everything. So, verse 6. So, when you ask, when you ask, be sure that your faith is in God alone. So when it comes down to asking these questions about the things you bump into, okay, about stretching out your faith, okay, about trusting God in his sovereign plan, when you have all that, be sure that your faith, when you ask, be sure your faith is in God alone. In other words... The, the, the runner has to keep his eye on the third base coach. Now listen, listen. He listens for him and to him. For him. The, the fans are screaming. The guys in the dugout are screaming. The, the infielders are talking to the runner trying to confuse him. And that runner has to make a decision. I'm listening for the third base coach. And I'm listening to the third base coach. I'm listening for him, and when I hear him, I'm going to obey him. Jesus said this, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I didn't do this well. I think y'all figured out after 18 and a half years that I'm not very athletic. And, uh, I went to Cobden, and we were in the finals of the softball championship. And I was new there. Gosh, I was new. Probably like two months, maybe a month, and it was the tournament. And uh, so the dude gets a hit. It's a close game. Dude gets a hit. Running to first base, he pulls something. I'm not sure what you pull when you run bases 
because I never got on base. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what you pull when you do when you get on base, you know. So they said we need a pitch runner. I'm in dress pants. Oh yeah, back in those days, you remember those days? Paint, paint loafers, paint loafers, dress shirt, the whole nine yards. I was the pastor. So I said, I'll, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. So so I get on base, and I'm on first base, you know. And I've done this before, but just not a lot. You know, I'm like this, and the next, you know, batter gets up and smacks the ball, and here I go. I round second base, and the coach was doing something. I, I don't think you could misinterpret. <laughs> Literally, I'm serious. No! Out! I heard, I listened for the third base. I didn't listen to the third base coach. He was saying stop, and I went anyway. I think we didn't lose the game. Do you remember that? You even remember the story. She, she didn't remember all the cool things, you know. So anyway, so head down. I walked back to the dugout, you know, and, Preacher, what were you thinking, man? And, uh, felt like a dog. Dog. So why did I run? Well, you have to come back next week. I got 18 seconds. Nope, just kidding. Why did I run? Because of this. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. You're listening to him only. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. I had divided loyalties. I had two choices. I could do what was best for the team, or I could try and be the hero. And if you know anything about me, I love being the hero. And I just knew that the coach was wrong and I could make it to third. I put me before the team. And I was out. I hurt the team and ended up hurting myself. Make sure that your faith is in God alone. Don't listen to the dugout. Don't listen to the fans. Don't listen to others. You focus on God and listen for Him and to him, and he will get you home. He will get you home. So joy is not an emotion. Joy is not something we conjure up. Joy is not something that, that makes us feel better. Joy is a gift from God given by the Holy Spirit. And remember what it is? It's a sense of well-being, a deep-rooted sense of well-being based on faith in God and in His sovereign will. That's joy. And that grows in the environment of bumping into things and trusting God. Bumping into things and trusting God. The bumps that we have in life are not just about bumps in life. They're about you growing as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's you being deeper and stronger in love with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. There's nothing more important than that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I hope, more than you know, I hope this made sense today. Whenever it happens in my life, I have one of those aha moments, and I did today, actually last night and today, as I studied. It means a lot to me. And I want this to mean a lot to you. I want this to help you. Not my presentation. That doesn't matter. But the truth we heard today from God's Word. 
I've seen the pain in lives. I've experienced the pain in lives. I know what it's all about. We've walked through some valleys together, haven't we? We've walked through some hard times together. And sometimes we don't have answers. But we trust God. A deep sense of trust in God and His sovereign will. God is too kind to be mean. He's too wise to make a mistake. You can trust Him as His child. Now, God, I want to thank you for the privilege of sharing today. I know Satan wants to steal this seed. I know he would love for us to walk out this door and not remember a thing that was said today. I know you want the opposite, that you want this burned into our hearts because these these words of teaching from your word, from your word, are words of victory. Words of victory. And Jesus, as you said, we're going to have trouble in the world, but we can be of good cheer because you have overcome, you have conquered the world. So burn it into our hearts. May it be like the seed sown on good ground. May it bring forth a huge harvest in our lives. I pray for every mom and dad as they raise their kids to teach this to their children and and to demonstrate this to their children. I pray for the grandmas and grandpas, the same thing. I pray, Father, for each believer here as they go out and live in in the high school, in the middle school, or perhaps the grade school, or the coal mine, or the bank, wherever it might be, may be demonstrated out in their lives. That the world might see how we approach life. Not through drifting around, not through pretending to be something we're not, but by joy, a gift from God. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name.